digital today is taking away from relationships. How many can relate to that video? And what we're encouraging you is put down your phones, put down your iPads, have pillow talk, have conversation with each other, and connect in relationships. Amen? And can I say this too? I, I know there's people out there yelling and screaming, uh, you know, not to have human contact with other people. I think in times like this is when we need each other. Amen? I learned something years ago when I preached in Liberia about two years ago. Two years ago, I was there preaching at their national conference with over a thousand people that came out for the conference. The pastors, I met with all the different pastors, over 150 churches of ours in Liberia. And I said to them, how did you guys handle Ebola? What did you do? Did you all just close up your doors and hide in your homes? Did you all live in fear? What did you do? You know what every single one of those pastors told me? We opened up the church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We became the oasis in the midst of darkness. We became the place of healing. We, people brought people into the place to be healed and be prayed for. They supplied food and they, had, they did meals together. And I think about how bad Ebola was in Liberia. And trust me, it's way worse than coronaviruses in the United States. And I just think we need to have perspective, amen? And in times like this is when the church should rise to the top, not run away, not go and hide and be in fear, but is when we should rise up as the body of Christ because we have faith and not fear. It is the time when we stand up to help one another who are in need and we go out of our way to help our neighbors, or especially our seniors. Yes, our seniors are at risk. I mean, if you read anything about the coronavirus, it's actually, it's interesting, it does impact seniors more than anybody else, people who have weakened immune systems. And I want you to know it's no different than the flu, too, in sense of that. I think we need perspective. You know, the Bible tells me that we live by faith and not by fear. The Bible tells me that we're, have a, 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 we're not to let the spirit of fear take root and take over. We're not to panic and, you know, I hear some of the craziness going on in the stores and stuff like that. And, but I want to say this is the time that the church steps up to the plate. This is the time the church is the church, the body of Christ. This is a time we, we look for people that we can help. And that's what we want you to know. Be very clear that if you need help over this time, please call. Talk to Pastor Brennan. We'll get you groceries. We'll help you out. We'll do what's necessary. Yes, some of our seniors who are at risk need to stay home, and that's why we have our online services. And just so you know, school will close in regards to our governor's edict. So as of Tuesday, the school will be closed, and it will not reopen again until the 31st. So we are doing that. Wednesday nights will be canceled with the kids and stuff like that as well for the next couple weeks, and we won't have Wednesday night programs. But can I say this? We're still going to have church on Sunday. Amen? Amen? Amen. And, and, you know, and, you know, I had a lot of my pastor friends calling me this week, and they're like, what are you doing, Mike? Are you shutting the doors? And I had other pastor friends in the area saying, we're closing our doors. And I'm like, well, you all need to make your own decision. But I still remember what those Ebola pastors in Liberia told me when they went through Ebola. We opened the churches up, and we became the oasis in the midst of darkness. We served those who were in need. We served meals from our churches. We reached out to help those who were suffering and hurting because we had faith and not fear. And I think that's a good lesson for us in America, amen? And so I just want to challenge you to be there for your neighbors, to help people out at this time. 
And as we do that, guess what? The church rises to the top. Jesus' name is glorified. People are, are encouraged. People are given hope. Can I tell you something? I know a lot of people get mad at the government because they can't stop this. You know what? Governments can't stop everything. But God can do a whole lot of stuff. And so for me, I'm going to run to God. I'm going to run to Him. I'm going to look to Him for solace in this time, for peace in the midst of the storm, for, for power to get through the trial and tribulation that faces us as a nation and as the world. You know, my daughter Krista is in Kenya right now, and she wasn't sure she was going to be able to get home, you know, because of everything with, you know, happening in Europe. But you know what? We trust God. We still do what God called us to do. We still go on and do the mission. We still go on and preach the good news. We still go on and we help people. We love people. We reach out to people that are in need. We reach out to people that are sick and hurting. And we become, what, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we do want to put Jesus on display that way as the church of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of my thought about what's happening around this. Keep a proper perspective through the, who th through the whole thing. And just remember that, you know, God is going to help us through this thing. A couple of scriptures to remind you of, Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Are you in fear? You need to pray and ask God to deliver you from your fears because God is not the author of fear. He's the author of love. He's the author of hope. He's the author that he can go beyond what's happening uh, naturally around us and he can bring a breakthrough. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so we need to understand that. Uh, I also like what it says in Matthew 6.33, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. It addresses situations like we face today. Put God first, and everything else that you worry about, and any fear that comes along that, with that will take care of itself. But you have to put God first. He has to be first and foremost in your relationship. If you're letting fear supersede God then I think you've got your priorities out of order. And Jesus here illustrates that humans worry about so many fears in our life. They worry that, it, that, that, that their fears just overflow. And then they project those fears on their kids and those around them. And that's not how the Spirit of God works. And he goes on to share, Jesus is basically saying, look, if God can take care of the birds and the vegetation, how much more will he take care of his kids, his family? And so as we've been studying and looking in Scripture, we've been reading about a guy named Joseph, where we started last week talking about Joseph in the Bible. And I want to remind you that, you know, my challenge for you as we look at biblical characters like Joseph is that we have a proper vision, that our vision's not blurred. And by the way, fear will cause you to have blurry vision. Did you know that? And we need to have the right vision. We need to have the right design for God's DNA, design for relationships. And that goes within the midst of epidemics or things like this. The right perspective is who can I help at this time, not I'm going to go to the store, hoard everything I can, lock myself in my house, and don't let anybody touch me. I don't think that's the way God wants us to handle this situation or scenario. I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow to fly to Phoenix because my dad's not doing good down in Arizona. And I had a few people say, aren't you going to cancel? No, because my, God, because my God tells me he'll take care of me, and my dad needs me in Arizona. Amen? So I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to fly down there, and I'm going to be with them. And, you know, my wife is taking a trip on Monday to go get her mom, because her mom's going to come to Illinois now with what's going on with her. We're not letting fear stop us from helping those that are in need. 
And that goes with what our hero Joseph was teaching us. It's having right perspective. It's keeping everything in perspective. And God needs to be in perspective in times like this. And we need to honor God. We need to run to God. We need to look to God. We need to trust God that he's going to help us through this. And and trust me, self needs to be in control because self's the one that wants to do self-preservation. Self is the one that wants to hoard everything. Self wants to allow the fears to grip us and not to uh, live life or to be there or be the body of Christ in time of need. And, and really, we're challenged by God to reach out and help others. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Just go read. In times of trouble, the church stands up throughout history. The church is the one that was there during the bluebonnet plague. You know, look at Mother Teresa with what she did in India. It's the church that stands up to help people in need. And I really want our church to do that. I want our school to do that. And you know who I learned it from? I learned it from a guy named Joseph, by the way. You know, we started looking at the life of Joseph last week, and we discovered that at 17 years old, his brothers hated him. He suffered from the disease of favoritism from his father. Father gave him a nice pretty coat but didn't give it to his brothers. His brothers ended up having a toxic relationship with him. He has a few dreams. He shares his dreams that they're all going to bow to him. And they become so furious and so mad. They don't treat him nice. They don't like him. Matter of fact, some of them want to kill him. And then he's coming to kind of check on him. And what do they end up doing? They end up, instead of killing him, because they did ponder killing him, by the way, they throw him into a pit. And by the way, I want you know, pride, arrogance, everything that he was suffering from in that time will lead us to the pit. So it will. And can I tell you something? Sometimes it's in that pride and arrogance where God lets you get thrown into the pit because he can't use people who are prideful and arrogant. But he can use people who have humility, who have grace, who learn the gift of forgiveness, and who learn to serve others. So we go back and we look at our hero Joseph, and like I said, last week we left off, the spoiled brat is thrown into the pit because of pride and arrogance, and you can blame his father for kind of setting this whole thing up, but the reality is he's thrown into the pit, and then what's so horrible is they sell him into slavery. He's been betrayed by his family. How many of you know fear could take over in that moment? How many of you know that fear could have just crippled Joseph in the pit? How many know that when he's sold into slavery and has a 30-day journey across the desert in chains, and he doesn't know what's going to happen, fear could have gripped his life, fear could have destroyed his life, he could have given up, he could have committed suicide, he could have done all kinds of things, but what does he do? Does he allow the fear to take over? He's, he's, he can't control what's happening to him now. Can you hear me? He can't control what's happening to him. He doesn't have control of the situation. It's out of his control. So what do you think he does on that camel riding for 30 days? Can I tell you what I think happened? As I read the story of Joseph, there is a shift in this boy's mindset. There's a shift in the way he looks at life. There's a shift in the way he looks at God because it says when he got to Egypt and he was sold by by these guys to Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard and placed in charge of Potiphar's house, Potiphar says this about our spoiled brat young person who was arrogant and all about himself. The spirit of the Lord was on this young man. I think something happened on that 30-day journey on the camel. In change as a slave or in the pit when he was in the pit. 
And somewhere along the line, Joseph made a decision. I'm not going to let fear control me. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look to the Lord and make his relationship my number one relationship in my life. I am going to trust that God will take care of me even in slavery. I'm going to trust that no matter what's going to happen to me, God's going to take care and orchestrate my steps. I don't care what's going to happen to me. I am going to honor God even in the midst of the tragedy of slavery. And slavery is a, a horrible thing, by the way. And, and don't, you know, kind of under, you know, you know kind of take that as a low thing. I mean, slavery in those days, I mean, people were brutalized and, and beaten and, and women were raped and they were treated as not even human. And they, it was demoralizing and it was horrible, just like it was in the time of the American slavery movement. Horrible. This is what Joseph is facing. And he knows that. And remember, he's a 17-year-old boy when this whole thing happens, when he gets sold into slavery. And, and the spoiled brat now has to make a decision. Will I trust God, serve God, and live for God in spite of what's going to happen to me or not? See, this is where we need to learn how to get a breakthrough in our, in our life. We need to understand that no matter what comes our way that we don't have control of, are we going to honor God in the midst of it? Are we going to put God first? Are we going to put our relationship with God first, or are we going to let other things choke it out, throw it out, and get rid of it? Fear will tell you, don't trust God, look at where you're at. Fear will tell you that, you know, there's no hope. Fear will tell you that there's no way of getting out of this. Fear will cause you to panic. Fear will cause people to commit suicide. Fear will overrun people and cause just pandemonium. Because that's what fear does. Because fear has nothing to do with God. God is, our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of breakthrough. Our God is a God who can do the impossible. Our God is a God throughout history and time. If you go through history, church history, and God brings breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And Joseph shows us this is how we should be handling the trials and tribulations of life. And even though he's sold off into slavery, guess what? He's not giving up on God. Matter of fact, he's running to God. He's throwing himself into the arms of God. And real life tells us that we do not learn character in times of ease or comfort or prosperity, but in times of difficulty, trials and tribulations. That's when our character grows. That's when we start to mature in Christ. It's through difficulty. See, the greatest lessons of life are often the product of our most serious heartaches, our most serious tragedies, our most serious traumas. It actually happens in times when we don't have control of what's going to happen tomorrow, that we grow in our relationship with God. And if you look with me in Genesis chapter 39, chapter 40, and chapter 41, I'm taking some of my sermon out of those three chapters as we look at our man, Joe. He's dealing with adversity. He's dealing with being a slave. He's dealing with rejection of his family and the grief that comes with that. He's dealing with trials and tribulations. He's going to deal with more toxic relationships in his future. He's going to deal with unjust circumstances in his life. And yet, in the midst of what it would look like this is going to destroy this young, spoiled brat, he ends up becoming a mature man of God through the whole thing. And that's why he's a hero of the faith. See, our, our, our guy, Joe, you know, as we look at him, you know, he's going to teach us some things. And here's some of the things he's going to teach us. 
He's going to teach us that he grows through his failures, his pit experiences, and his toxic relationships. He's never going to give up and quit. He's going to learn to get rid of the pride and arrogance and become humble. See, these are all keys. By the way, if you want to be a leader in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, if you want to make a difference in this time that we face in our life, we need to humble ourselves, get rid of pride and arrogance, and go help those that are in need. He worked hard, by the way. Scripture says that. He worked hard at Potiphar's house. He was a great servant. As a matter of fact, Potiphar said that everything he put his hands to do, he prospered, and he put more and more authority into, into Joe's hands so that he could just keep going and going and going. And, and Potiphar didn't worry about anything because, you see, our young man has changed. The Spirit of God is all over him. His, his, uh, by the way, his spoiled favoritism is gone. And now he's learning and growing the way that God wants him to learn and grow because God has a plan for his life. See, God knew one day that this boy Joseph would be second in command of Egypt because that's where he's headed. He's going to go from the pit... He's going to go to prison, by the way, in a moment. We're going to talk about that. But he is going to end up in the palace. And so we sometimes don't even know what our journey is. Sometimes, you know, uh, there's a bumper sticker I saw one time is, hey, tell God your plans and he'll laugh at you. Kind of think how you're going to do your life, you know, how you're going to make it and you're going to lay it all out that this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Because, by the way, nobody would have thought Joseph could have gone from the pit to the prison to the palace. And he does. Why? Because he humbled himself, he got rid of his spoiled brat attitude, he got rid of the arrogance and pride that was in his life, he let go of the favoritism status that he had, and he humbled himself before God. And he grew in his relationship with God. If anything else that I see here over and over and over again, I keep hearing that he grew in his relationship with God. And he never let other relationships, by the way, Break his relationship with God, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, so remember that. And he chose to dispense grace and forgiveness in his relationship. So let's, let's do a little summary of our hero, Joe. So Joe is sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is very impressed with this young man, says the Spirit of God is on him. And so he promotes him, promotes him, promotes him. But then something happens in the midst of his promotions, in the midst of Mr. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, uh, giving him more and more and more. Mrs. Potiphar takes notice of our young, handsome, Jewish young man. And it says, if you read in Scripture there in chapter 39, she starts going after our young man. Hey, yo, Joe, you want to be my beau? My wife's making fun of me now. <laughs> you know, hey, yo, Joe, look at me over here. Hey, Joe, come on over here. I mean, she starts to try and seduce our hero of the faith, our young man. And, and yeah, it's, that's just to be real. She wants to sleep with him, you know. And, and what does he do? It says in the scripture he kept saying, no, 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 no. Why? Can I tell you why No. Because his relationship with God had become so strong, he did not want to do anything that would break his relationship with God. And he knew creating a relationship with her, Mrs. Poe, would be toxic, would be devastating, would be destructive, would destroy his relationship with God, would put him on the path like a few other heroes of the Bible, like David, like Samson, 
You know, and I could go down the list of people who yielded to this temptation, but not our man Joe. He does not yield to the temptation of this seductress. And it happens over and over and over. Can I say this? When you're tempted, don't think it's just going to come one time. Hello? Temptation comes over and over and over again. And the devil doesn't try one time to get you to fall, crash, and burn. He keeps at it. And the more you resist, the more he comes after you, by the way. And so he's going, he's trying to destroy Joseph. He's trying to bring him down. And he's using Mrs. Poe as the pawn to do it. Who, by the way, now remember this, he's a slave and she owns him. Hello? And it didn't matter that she owned him. And he knew that at any moment she could do what she's going to do. She's going to cry out that he tries to do this to her. And because she gets mad at him, she's scorned because he rejects her. And as a result of that, she goes and lies to Mr. Poe, and he throws him in the prison. But Joseph still did the right thing. And God was still with Joseph. And it doesn't matter that Mrs. Poe is moaning and growing and lying and telling all kinds of lies about him. He still did the right thing because his relationship with God was way more important than a toxic relationship with a seductress. And Joseph knew that. And he knew for him to fulfill what God had placed on his heart to do, he needed to put God first and foremost in his life. And so, what happens? Well, chapter 39 is pretty clear. The reality check is he rejects her. She finally has had enough of it. And so she turns him in. She lies about him. He gets arrested. It says Potiphar gets mad at, of course, our hero of the faith, and he throws him into prison. Can I, can I pause there for a moment? Who really lost in this situation? Joseph? Because Joseph went to prison. And it looked like maybe Mrs. Potiphar got away. She got even with Joseph. Can I tell you something? Joseph kept his integrity. Joseph kept his relationship with God. And he knew that was more important than even the freedom he did have as a slave. Can you hear me on that? And so now he's in prison. You read on in the next chapter. He's put into prison, and once again it says the prison ward. So Lojo is thrown into death row. Oh, no. I'm going to do a lot of rhymes today. But God is with him. He's not alone. He's not deserted. He's not forgotten. He's not, he's, by the way, he is not overwhelmed with grief or fear because he's in prison. Can I, can I hear an amen to that? This guy is like, all right. So I'm in prison now, but I made the choice. She was not going to control me. She was not going to get me the sin. That's the drugs sent by Satan who was not going to bring me down. I was not going to get involved in that toxic relationship. I'm going to keep my healthy, whole relationship with God intact. And okay, God, I'm in prison now. What do you want me to do? The prison warden sees this young man, and what does he do? It says he starts giving him responsibility. He starts achieving a responsibility. The prisoner, the warden of this prison, says he sees the Spirit of the Lord on our young man. And starts giving him more and more and more authority. And he starts to grow and grow and grow. And he's maturing and growing and maturing and growing. Notice, he doesn't let this toxic relationship or bitterness take over, which he could have. Maybe he could blame God. God, why'd you do that to me? God didn't do it to him. Mrs. Poe did it to him. The enemy did it to him. So he knew, keep my relationship with God strong, keep it intact, keep it focused, keep it on track, and God's going to take care of everything. And he did. Once again, he's achieving. He's growing. In prison, 
by the way, he's maturing. He's learning. He's teachable. He's humble. He's more humble. And God keeps saying, oh, this is exactly where I want that young man to be. Humble, teachable, dedicated to me, keeping my relationship with him intact no matter what. Even at the cost of his so-called freedom, he still keeps me first. And by the way, you can never outgive God. You can't. So our man grows. And the next thing you know, as you're reading in Scripture, and by the way, it's, you, know, you might say that he's growing and maturing in prison. I thought in prison is where you kind of die or where you lose hope or where you don't grow. Can I tell you something? Jim Baker said after he was arrested and spent five years in prison that that helped him to grow more in his life than all the years that he led the PTL club. He said, my five years was this. He said, my five years was like a seminary in direct communication and intimacy with God. And nothing could have changed me more than those five years in prison. Or how about this? In China, it says from the book Insanity of God, that in China, pastors who are considered mature in the faith to be looked up to, to be respected, and to look to for counsel and wisdom are pastors who have spent at least... Four to six years in a Chinese prison for the faith. See, we, we sometimes think, we, we mix things up here in America of what is considered successful, what is considered the things that I can learn from and grow from. And the reality is, Joe is growing in the lowest position that you would say in his life, in prison, the less freedom he's ever had in his life. But in prison, he is growing, he is maturing, he is becoming humble, he is honoring God, he is standing out. People are seeing, hey, there's something different about this kid. And he moves forward. And then if you get to Genesis 39.1, I want to remind you, Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials, remember that, who bought him? And it was his wife who got him thrown into prison. He was the captain of the guard. I want you to listen to this. Because this is how God works. Then in Genesis chapter 40, verse 2 through 4, listen to what it says. It says, while Joseph is in prison, the captain of the guard assigned to Joseph the care of the cupbearer and the baker. Can I tell you? Do you know who that was? Potiphar. Can I tell you something? I think Potiphar started watching Joseph in prison and said, hmm, I wonder who's really telling the truth here. Hmm, Spirit of God is on him. Hmm, I wonder if my wife's lying to me. I wonder if it's my wife who's the problem. Hmm. And so he assigns him the cupbearer, and he assigns him the baker. And so Joseph is now taking care of two of, Egypt, of Pharaoh's officials again, that are kind of on the outs at this point in time. They did something to offend the Pharaoh. I don't know if the baker had a bad day with a meal or something and ended up in prison. It could be. But he did something to offend Pharaoh, and so he ended up in prison. And then the cupbearer did something that offended Pharaoh, so the Pharaoh threw him into prison. And so Joseph starts attending to these two individuals. And I want you to know, it's, it's interesting, because here he is in prison, and God just keeps giving him more, more divine assignments in prison. And so he ministers to these guys, feeds them, takes care of them. And there comes a point in time where they both have dreams and they don't know what the dreams mean. And they give their dreams to Joseph and Joseph interprets both dreams. By the way, the first thing he says is, I don't interpret dreams, but my God, who I have relationship with, he interprets dreams. And what does he do? He tells the baker, 
sorry, bad news, off with your head. That's what he says. And then the cupbearer asked, you know, first it was a cupbearer, then it was a baker, because the baker thought, well, the cupbearer got good news, maybe mine will be good news. And a cupbearer, well, Joseph interprets his dream, says you will be restored to Pharaoh and you will go on. And he says, and when you are restored to Pharaoh, don't forget about me. Two years go by. Cupbearer gets restored. The baker gets his head lost. And then two years later, Pharaoh has dreams. Doesn't know what they mean, but they're really bothering Pharaoh. Nobody amongst all his staff can interpret his dreams. Nobody has the ability to interpret dreams other than God himself. And so what happens? Ah, the cupbearer says, I remember a guy in prison by the name of Joseph. And he can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream correctly and the baker's dream correctly. So what do they do? It says they summon for Joseph. Interesting, if you read the scripture here, it says Joseph cleaned up and shaved. Now remember, he's working in a prison, he's Jewish, he probably has a full beard, but he knows the culture of his day, and the culture of his day is people are respected that are clean-shaven. So he goes and cleans up, and he gets clean-shaven, he shaves off his beard, because, by the way, he knows this is a divine appointment. He is going to appear before Pharaoh, and he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dream. So when you get to the scripture text here in, in, in our chapter here, I find it interesting that once again, here he is standing before the supreme ruler of all of Egypt, one of the most powerful places there is in chapter 41. And Pharaoh summons Joseph in. He's all cleaned up. He's cleaned himself up. And he asks him to interpret his dreams. And the first thing that our hero of the faith says is, I don't interpret dreams, but my God does. Stop. At that point, he could have been beheaded by Pharaoh. Look, I, I don't do this, Pharaoh. But my God, who I serve, who I have a relationship with, is, is number one in my life, and I have a number one relationship. He can interpret your dreams. I cannot. You see, I am a humble man, and I can't do anything without the power of God. Wait a minute. This is the same 17-year-old that was totally arrogant years ago? No, he's matured. He's grown. He's become the man of God that God wants him to be. Can I tell you something? Sometimes we have to go through the pit in the prison to get to the palace because God needs to mature us through the pit in the prison before we have the ability to be able to lead like this man is going to lead from the palace. I got three minutes. So what happens? He interprets the dreams. He tells them there's going to be a famine. Oh, here we go. What does Joseph do? He says there's going to be a major catastrophe is going to strike this nation. And Pharaoh's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Then he comes back to our man Joseph, who is in tune, and he sees the Spirit of the Lord on him, and it says he sees humility, and he gives God credit. And Pharaoh says, what should we do? Should we panic? Should we fall into fear? Should we isolate ourselves in a house? Should we hoard grain for ourselves and not let anybody else have it? Should we just kind of panic and lose it? What should we do? And Joseph comes back and says, let's say if the Lord do this. And Joseph looks at this humble young man and says, you know what? There is nobody in all of Egypt like you. So you know what? I'm going to promote you to number two in charge of Egypt, and you're going to do everything God kind of shows you to do, and you're going to do it. And there we go. He goes from the pit to the prison to the palace. We're back to relationships again. 
he never allowed his relationship with God to be thwarted. Amen? He didn't have blurred vision as to how he's supposed to keep everything in perspective. He kept God where God needed to be. He kept self in control where it needed to be. And he kept others in focus, even in a land that held him in slavery. And as a result, he saw a breakthrough. And a breakthrough was birthed in his life. And then as we will find out later on, his brothers show up to buy grain. Because he's in charge of all the grain now. And there's a great famine and they don't have any food. And Jacob sends his, his, his brothers down and guess what? They don't know, but they appear before Joseph. They bow just like the dream said they would bow. But then what does he do? Does he say, oh, revenge is mine now. He's second in charge of Pharaoh. He could take all of his brothers and have their heads chopped right off. He could get revenge. But he chooses forgiveness grace and mercy because he's grown he's matured as a man of God he knows revenge is not of God he knows he needs to forgive him he knows God has orchestrated his whole path to preserve his family and you know he's matured he's not the same punky spoiled brat that we read about who was 17 years old he's a mature man of God and he gets a breakthrough not only for himself but also for his family so Let's just wrap this up by what do we learn from this message? What do we need to know from this message? Answer. Number one, we need to say no to temptation. Why? Because God's relationship means more to us than sin. Can I have an amen to that? Secondly, what do we need to do in light of this message? We need to learn through adverse circumstances or toxic relationships that we need to become better, not bitter. We need to choose to grow spiritually. Can I challenge you? I challenge you to grow through the coronavirus epidemic. And don't allow fear to supersede your faith. I ch challenge you to choose God over all the panic things going on on the media. I challenge you to reach out and help people in need at this great time because they will see the light of Jesus and it will change their lives. Lastly, why do we need to know this? So we develop the right relationships and we get a breakthrough. And I believe God wants to use the church at this time in America to get a breakthrough. God wants to use the church on Tuesday for AJ to get a breakthrough. Amen? We believe in the power of prayer and fasting. As you know, AJ's had a few complications, probably going to need another surgery. He still has some torn ducks that need to be repaired. We are praying that the surgery this time, the fourth time, be the fourth time, will be successful. Amen? Amen? Because our God is greater. Our God can take the doctor's hands and put them where they need to be, show them what they need to see. And, and like I said, AJ is going to stand on this pulpit one day and share his testimony as to the faithfulness of God as he went through this trial and tribulation of his life. And we need to do the same. Amen? Let's stand as we close. Lord, I thank you that we have faith and not fear. I thank you Joseph teaches us that. I thank you that Joseph teaches us that it is so important for us to cultivate our relationship with you in spite of what's happening around us. That we grow closer to you. We grow more in tune to you. We hear your voice more. We reach out and help people in need instead of running away from them. So Lord, I pray that you would use this church to be the great vessel to reach out at this time, Lord, 
And Lord, we are praying for a breakthrough for our nation, a breakthrough for us as a church and school, for us as individuals and families, Lord. And so, Lord, use us at this time to be your light in the midst of darkness. Use us at this time to show mercy and grace and forgiveness to those who need it, Lord. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. Well, if you need prayer, my prayer team members will be down front. We'll be happy to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great week.